from the Finling Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. From the gun, quick lob over the top. Edwards reaches up and grabs it. Touchdown! Jackpot, baby! Balls out. Fumble, fumble, and Hunter Renfro picks it up and he's down at the 40-yard line of the Raiders. Hunter Renfro saved the day. Round two. Dead on. Yes, the Raiders sideline explodes. I give a jackpot, partner. Jackpot, There you baby. go. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah! All right, here we go on a Tuesday. It's Cofield and Company as we're coming to you live from the Finley Toyota Studios. Willard Ramirez is going to join us from T-Mobile around the halfway point of the show. We're going to track down Adam Hill in just a couple minutes to break down last night's Raiders game. On the way in, you hear the highlights with the Edwards touchdown early in the game. Hunter Renfro doing his part to avoid being the GOAT in the contest. And then clutch, 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 Daniel Carlson. Had to do it twice, but he got it done with the game-winning field goal. The Raiders are 7-7 seven and seven now. All right, Ari, let's do it. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Man, oh, man, injuries are the story going into Week 16 along with COVID. What a freaking mess. And you've got top contenders. you got teams in the middle of the pack in both of the conferences, the AFC and the NFC, having to deal with all these issues. And Tampa Bay is a real interesting case. Now the Bucks' offense is all beat up. There's hope they're going to get some of the guys back, but Chris Godwin will not be back. And one of the stories of the day today was Tom Brady commenting on Godwin's torn ACL. Godwin went down on a legal hit from Saints defensive back P.J. Williams. The Browns had 18 players out, eight starters, did not play. Uh, now they're down... Another player is Tack McKinley is out for the year. He went out in the third quarter. It turns out he tore his Achilles in that loss to the Raiders, and he was the guy who had a cup of coffee with the Raiders. Now, on the Raiders' defense, this is not good news, and we'll look for updates throughout the show. John Abram, who's actually turned into a pretty decent player as that box safety. He's not really a cover guy, but on the year, Abram has 116 total tackles, five tackles for loss, three quarterback hits, an interception, a fumble recovery. Remember, this is the guy who was the 27th overall pick in the 2019 draft. They had to find a role for him. Otherwise, this is a total disaster. Well, John Abram had to leave the game. It turns out he's dislocated a shoulder. Now, he's done this before, so hopefully this isn't something that's going to keep him out for weeks and weeks and weeks. So now the Raiders involved in this war of attrition. So the Raiders wind up winning the game. They get a late field goal from Daniel Carson, who just got his Big payday, and we're going to talk to Adam Hill in just a little bit. He'll tell you what was going on around the locker room as guys were celebrating, and one player called out Daniel Carson in a positive way. Carlson got it done, but the setup down the stretch required a couple of things. One, after that Derek Carr interception, and we'll see from multiple folks on the show, I want to hear what Adam Hill has to say about the interception because it seemed like Zay Jones was apologizing, and I don't know that he did anything wrong. We're going to talk to our QB expert, NFL insider, Caleb Herring, a little bit later on the show, and we'll see what he thought of the route that turned into an interception that really put the Raiders' defense and its backs against the wall. Funny thing is, Carr came over. I find this really interesting and kind of took his shot. He didn't do it publicly, but he mentioned it after the game. He said after that interception, it was like uh, I, you know, I went over. 
He said, I promise we'll win the game. Just just get it back. And the defense actually did. There's so much to break down in this game because the Raiders were not aggressive enough throughout the contest. They should have had a bigger lead, especially with only 84 yards given up on the Browns' side on offense. The Raiders' D essentially had the Browns' offense bottled up all the way through the middle of the fourth quarter. But when you let a team hang around and they've got Nick Chubb, eventually something's going to happen. And then Nick Chubb went off. They get the lead. They put the ball in Chubb's hands on a third and three. And this is where maybe the absence of Kevin Stefanski, who's out with COVID, screwed the Browns. Because I think there's a lot of people out there like, ah, the head coach is gone. The rest of the staff is there. Most of it, you know, they'll be fine. It's those key decisions. Be aggressive. Don't be aggressive. That may have burned the Browns. And then on defense, as the Raiders were trying to go for the game-winning field goal, the Browns' defense was kind of soft. Playing a lot of loose coverage. Beat us underneath. Well, Derek Carr did. He came up with some really big completions to Zay Jones. That great catch and run to tiptoe the sidelines, but not go out of bounds until the very last minute to get five or six extra yards for Foster Moreau. That was freaking awesome and uh, certainly have to call out a guy like Jonathan Hankins back to the defensive stop to get the Raiders the ball back. He freaking blew up that play on that third and three for no gain with Nick Chubb. lot to get into. The Raiders are back, baby! Kind of. Seven and seven. They still have life. The AFC is all bunched up in that eight and six to seven and seven area. Raiders have a shot. How much of a shot do they have? We'll talk to Adam Hill in just a couple minutes. He was out there covering the game in Cleveland. On the way back, we'll find out exactly what was going on down the stretch in that big Raiders victory. It's one win. You know, we're 7-7. Seven and seven. We are what our record is. We just got to take it one at a time. You know, this is a big step on the road. No matter what it is, we had some guys out. They had some guys out, and we got to win. We found a way. So we got Denver next week. Need to lock back in. We only got six days to recover. So we always love playing Denver. We know what kind of game that's going to be. So, you know, we're looking forward to the challenge. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Time to go over the Raider game. Cofield and Company here on a Tuesday. Adam Hill covered the game. He's been in Cleveland for probably a little too long. Uh, Adam, how you doing? Uh, yeah, I've been in Cleveland for like a month and a half. I think I'm an <laughs> official resident now. Uh, and this place is not fun. Well, the Raiders had fun in the end. It was uh, not going to be a fun trip back if uh, they didn't close things out in the final three minutes. So uh, tell us what it was like down the stretch and just the Raiders' mood. I'm sure it was jubilant after the game. Yeah, it was. I mean, it definitely was. There's no question about that. Uh, the the team, you know, I, I don't think anybody's ever going to remember. Uh, I mean, people in Cleveland will remember the fact that, you know, nobody was playing for the Browns and that it was all backups and, uh, it was a it was a mess of a roster situation and all those things, but you know the Raiders I think will just remember coming into Cleveland and and getting a last second victory and the celebration that came with it. I, I thought it was kind of you know it, it stuck out in my mind that you know a week after the Raiders did their silly logo dance in in Kansas City before the game and danced on the logo and had a party in the middle of the field before the game. This time they had a party in the middle of the field after the game. Uh, they got to you know dogpile on on Daniel Carlson and and celebrate and run off the field and silence a crowd that was out of it for much of the day and I think going into the game the crowd was not excited about the game it was you know guys that they had never heard of that were on the field playing and all of those things and then when they got that touchdown uh, and then they got the interception within about you know thirty seconds of each other. Uh, late in the game. I mean, that place was going nuts. It was crazy in there, pandemonium. And then dead silence uh, after the kick. And, and I think the Raiders were excited about that part of it and, you know, excited to cap a 72-hour stretch where there was so much uncertainty and anger and 
there was such a, a run of emotion, you know, from the anger of having the game pushed back, um, having to then refocus and, and get settled in on, okay, well, now we're, you know, we're, we can't go play with anger. We have to go play with, you know, focus and determination. And then I think very noteworthy, but maybe overlooked, uh, they get to Cleveland and one of their teammates, you know, Will Compton loses his mother and he leaves the team and they kind of have that emotional moment, rally around him. And I think that kind of put things into perspective a little bit of, all right, listen, we're playing a game. Yeah. It got pushed back 48 hours and it sucks and we're annoyed, but this is not a real problem. This is not a, a, you know, a a situation that we need to be mad and, you know, and, and, you know, focus on for a long period of time. Like it's just a game. And I think that helped a little bit. Well, let's use your terms, focus and determination to talk about the final drives, but especially the final one. Uh, Talk about Carr, talk about Moreau getting the extra yards and also Zay Jones role. Yeah, and I think, you know, Foster Moreau, interestingly, on that one play, which, which I think was a big play to get out of bounds, uh, there was two things going on. One was they wanted to try to keep him in bounds rather than try to tackle him, like just get him down. And so I think that he took advantage of that a little bit. And I think, you know, it's something I've been talking about for a long time. Like I I really think the, the penalties along the sideline ruined a lot of games and ruined a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of plays for the defense where you're so scared of giving up 15 yards, you don't want to hit somebody near the sideline. And I think that was part of it as well. I think that they kind of said, okay, well, we'd rather have him get get an extra five yards than us hit him and have it be deemed too late and get an extra 15. And I think he took advantage of that as well. So that was a big play. But really it was between Carr and Zay Jones. And, um, you know, Zay Jones is the one that Carr took a deep shot to that got intercepted with, you know, two and a half minutes left where it looked like the game might be over at that point. And there was some sort of miscommunication on that play. And I'm still trying to get to the bottom of it because uh, I talked to Zay Jones about it. And he said, you know, after that interception, he was devastated. He went over, he apologized to his teammates. Um, he apologized to Carr, the coaches. And he, he said he was heartbroken about what had happened. Now, it looked like Derek Carr overthrew him. And the cornerback made a great play and picked it off. And Derek Carr said, yeah, I threw an interception. And I followed up with Carr, and I said, well, you said you threw an interception. Zay Jones said it was he was heartbroken because he did something. What exactly happened? <laughs> and it's, it's tough to get to it because what Carr said is, hey, look, if you ask me, I say I threw an interception. You ask say, he said, he'll say he messed up. Well, like, I still don't know exactly what that is other than, you know, Zay Jones maybe just didn't fight for the ball hard enough. Uh, maybe thought he could have gotten there. Maybe he slowed down a route at some point. Uh, watching the play, I've watched it several times. Can't really figure out exactly what that was. But something happened on that play that seems to be Zay Jones' fault. And, you know, it. I think fitting then that he comes back and makes a couple of really big plays on the drive that led to the field goal. And apparently Carr went over to him and said, hey, it happens. We're going to get the ball back and you're going to help us win. And, you know, if that conversation did happen, as they both said it did, and you have to believe that, um, pretty interesting that they actually got to put that into play and uh, have Zay Jones kind of be a hero on that last drive. Adam Hill, talking about the victory for the Raiders over Cleveland, keep their season alive, at least their playoff hopes alive. The season was alive. They have to play the, the games regardless of whether they're going to make the playoffs or not. They're sitting at 7-7. Seven and seven. We'll talk about the Broncos a little later in the conversation. Um, before we talk about the field goal and the emotions after – 
the make by Daniel Carson. We also have to give credit to the defense because if uh, the D doesn't get the ball back quickly against the Browns, there is no shot to win the game. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, you know, I, I, I feel, and of course it's, you know, you can look back, but I said at the time there was a long conversation in the press box, uh, two twelve left. The Raiders call a timeout. Uh, it's third and three for the Browns. So they have one play, uh, to try to put the game away. Uh, if they get the first down, the game's over. And, I thought they should probably run a play action and throw it there because I knew the Raiders were obviously going to sell out for the run. Uh, Max Crosby said after the game, we knew they were going to run it. Uh, I think they should have gone play action, some sort of uh, you know run pass option on the outside for Mullins. But you know Nick Chubb is their star. He's one of the only regular players that was in the lineup. I think they would have put the game on his you know on his feet. And you know Jonathan Hankins actually blew that play up, made a huge stop, and he did the same thing as Dallas, made a huge stop on a third down play. Uh, to to get the Raiders the ball back and, and make sure that, that the Cowboys didn't score. So we've seen him do this before. But, yeah, I think just in general, the defense getting that stop and getting them the ball back was, I mean, you can't overstate it. Like If they don't get the ball back, the game's over. And for them to, to force a three and out there when the Browns had all kinds of momentum and, and they had had all kinds of success the last couple of drives on offense, very, very impressive for sure. Um, I will say also, it's tough for, with an acting head coach like the Browns had uh, to make a decision in that spot. I would have gone for it on the fourth down. Ooh, uh, and yeah. maybe, maybe <laughs> that's what, maybe that's what he had in mind when he ran the ball. Maybe he had in mind, Hey, if we can, you know, it's third and three, if we can pick up two, we can go for it on fourth and one, but they didn't pick up anything. Right. They, they, it was, you know, no gain on the play. And so they punt the ball away and there's multiple reasons for it. Uh, for why you should go for it in that situation. Um, one being that if you don't get it, it's almost certain, knowing how conservative the Raiders are in particular under Rich Passaccia, that they would have just played for a field goal. You could have called their three timeouts, and then you could have got the ball back with a chance to go get a field goal if you had to. And if you punt, the Raiders are going to run it all the way down uh, to get in a field goal range. So it's... I, I know that there is a large conversation going on right now about <laughs> analytics, uh, which it's basically, are you intelligent or are you not intelligent is the, the debate that's going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, in that, in that case, I think there's multiple reasons that uh, you probably should have gone for it. And, and, and uh, I believe it was scored. There's a, there's an analytics site out there that kind of rates coaching decisions every week. I believe that that decision was named the worst decision of the week. Oh, wow. Uh, by any coach uh, to punt there on, on fourth and three uh, from their own 30. Adam Hill's with us. All right, let's talk about the uh, Carlson make, and he actually had to make two. Those are always fascinating situations when you get the timeout and as the ball's flying through the uprights. Talk about the make, uh, Carlson, and this big contract he got. And I know Jalen Richard after the game was screaming and yelling. Yeah, well, thanks for reading my Twitter. Uh, that was good. Um, that was just a, a well-timed moment where I, I was taking the elevator down after the game and uh, going toward the locker room. And uh, as I, as I was walking by, Jalen Richard is just screaming in his face. Like, that's why we paid you that contract. That's why you got the big money. It was, it was great. It was a good, good moment to see. It was also funny to see Jalen Richard, like the most fired up guy ever yelling in Carlson's face and Carlson like, yeah, like, yeah, I, I got it. I that got was it. it. Really? Oh yeah. Like no, no reaction. I mean, he was like so, so calm. And that's kind of how he was out on the field too. Of just, Hey, just go make the kick. 
Uh, he said he he blacks out everything because, like I said, it was at that moment it wasn't it wasn't loud all day in Cleveland. It was it was there was noise, um, but it was really you know you hear about the crowds in Cleveland. You really saw that uh, those last couple of plays. Um, it was it was crazy in that place, and you know Daniel Carlson didn't see any of it. He just went up there. He's like, all right, make the kick, let's go, and uh, and he did. And it's it's kind of crazy. I was actually talking to some people uh, in the press box after the game last night. And a 48-yard kick, especially in not horrible weather, but not great weather, is not like the most automatic thing of all time. But I don't think anybody that has been around this team thought there was any chance he was missing that kick. It was like, yeah, it's, that's made. Of course he's making that. That's, unless it's blocked, uh, that's that's just what he does. He goes out and he makes those kicks. And um, just so so calm and, and relaxed. And, you know, he's missed some extra points. It's been kind of a, a weird year for him, but... In those situations, I think you always think Carlson's going to make it. I think that's why they love him so much, and that's why uh, they gave him the contract that they did. They, they feel that like they've got their guy who, when you absolutely need to make a kick, he's going to make it. Let's talk about Derek Carr's role in the comeback. That's what, 28 game-winning drives from Derek Carr since 2014. I think that's the, the high mark uh, around the NFL. Uh, great Carr's performance throughout the game. I know he went down with an ankle for a little bit, but uh, greatest performance. I mean, I think you go B. Like he, it wasn't like he was lighting up the place uh, by any stretch. Um, I think you would have liked to see them put their foot on the gas pedal a little bit. Uh, but there was a couple of focuses that the Raiders really had yesterday. Early in the game, they wanted to they wanted to dominate early because they wanted to put the Browns behind and put them in a spot where they couldn't just run the ball and control the clock. And obviously late in the game when you need to go get a win. And Carr was great in both those situations. First drive of the game, eight for eight, 77 yards, moving right down the field, got a touchdown. Um, did exactly what they wanted to do. Get the lead, put the Browns in a little bit of an uncomfortable spot. Last drive of the game, obviously, um, you know, go out there, got to get a field goal. He said in his mind he wanted to get to the 35 or in. Uh, I know Rich Versace said anything 40 and in, they would have tried. Um, he got him to the 30. And... Hey, here, here's your here's your opportunity. Go down there, move the ball, get the field goal, get the win for your team, and he did it. And so I think you you look at those two drives and you say those are A pluses. Like that's exactly what you wanted to do. That's how you wanted to play, and that's what you did. I think in between, and it wasn't all his fault. There were some drops. I mean, the Deshaun Jackson drop was a pretty bad one. Um, you know, Zay had a drop. There, there was a couple of drops out there. Hunter Renfro even had a weird drop. Um, Edwards had one too. It was like there was drop passes. For sure, that his numbers could have looked a lot better, and they're you know they could have put more points on the scoreboard. But um, I just thought the 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 two key moments of the game, he was unbelievable, and the rest of the game, he was just fine. Uh, so I would go B overall. But when the game, you know, when the when the situations were arising that they really really wanted something, it was A pluses. Carr took what was given to him, and a lot of people were annoyed after the game at what the Browns gave him on the final drive. What do you think of the Browns' defense? I think they blitzed on the final play, but uh, I saw like Seth Joyner, former NFL defensive lineman, was like, why go soft on defense? And I also wonder, going back to your point about, you know, interim head coach, if, you know, not having Stefanski also affects the approach on defense where you're kind of laying back and, you know, uh, letting them kind of pick you apart to move up the field. Maybe a little bit, but I'll, I'll throw two caveats out there on their side. Uh, three, actually. Um, First one, and I listen. I'm I'm sure people don't want to hear it and don't care. 
they had zero depth. Zero. They had nobody out on the field. Like, when you talk about all the guys that they're missing, obviously you say, oh, they're missing, you know, these starting players that are very important. And that's true. But really where that impacts you is you have no depth at all of players that, that have been out there, that understand what you want to do, that have been around. Like, you've got a bunch of guys that were on the practice squad, basically, and you know, even some guys that were off the street this week that they just brought in. So you've got that that impact for sure of, of the lack of depth. And the reason why that's important is because the Raiders held the ball so much longer than the Browns did in that game. I think at that point the Browns' defense was exhausted, and that, that was part two of this. Exhausted defense with no depth, not a good recipe for a late-in-the-game success on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then the last thing I'll, I'll bring up, and he was on the field, but Miles Garrett got hurt the drive before, and he was limping all over the place. And I am stunned that he was able to take the field, but he certainly was not Miles Garrett. He he looked like he had no business being on a football field at that point. Uh, it looked like maybe a groin injury. Um, he could not get off the field after after it happened. Went straight into the tent, and then when the Raiders got the ball back, he came running out of the tent. It looked like he was just like, I don't care what you say, I'm playing. But I can't imagine he was very effective. And again, I haven't watched the film again on that last drive, but he couldn't walk, so I can't imagine he was doing a very good job putting pressure on. And that is such an integral part of their defense. I have to imagine that was a a big factor in why the Raiders were able to move the ball without really having any any duress. Interesting to see uh, the Raiders' uh, play distribution on defense, snap distribution on defense. Diablo heavily in action over Littleton. Yeah, and that, that's a move that they made. They've really liked what Devon Diablo has done uh, recently, and uh, I think that was a reward for him. Um, Littleton did uh, get in there a little bit, and I know uh, almost gave up one of the catches of the year uh, to David Joku. Not that the coverage was that bad. I mean, he was right there on him, and Joku just went up and got it uh, with a very impressive catch. He just happened to be out of bounds. Um, but yeah, they, they like what they've seen out of Devon Diablo. They, they want to reward him. They want to get him on the field more and they did. And then, uh, Diablo did get hurt in the game. Uh, I think he only missed one play, uh, because of the injury, but he did, he did have to come out for a second and, uh, you know, you saw Littleton get a little bit more run there, but, um, Diablo is just a guy that is earning his reps, just like, you know, Malcolm Coote seems to be. And, and some of the younger players are, you know, working so hard in practice. And, and I think the team wants to show them, Hey, if you, if you work this hard and you perform this well at practice, we're going to find a way to get you in the games. Adam Hill wrapping up the big Raiders victory over the Browns here on this Tuesday. Later in the show, we're going to talk to uh, another football insider, Caleb Herring. We'll also start to look ahead towards the Broncos. We'll do that with Adam in a couple of minutes. But Judge Dan from the uh, the fan in Denver will join us. The Broncos lost and are now in a uh, tie with the Raiders at 7-7. Seven and seven. Before we step aside here, I got to address the elephant in the room. I'm not sure if the Raiders did after the game because I'm sure emotions were so high they really didn't have any uh, interest in griping about the fact that the game was pushed back two days. But I just wanted to know your thoughts on the the delay, the fact that the Browns got, what, one guy back. They were still missing a ton of their key players. No Mayfield, no Keenum, Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, Jedrick Wills, Malik McDowell, Grant Delpit, Ronnie Harrison. In the end, what was the point of pushing the game back a couple of days? I mean, I think obviously the the point of it was a couple of things. One, the protocols were changing, and they thought maybe they'd get some guys back, and the league thought maybe they'd get some guys back. And and I think it is on some level, if whatever you can do, like it was said before the year, and I think a lot of people missed this and didn't want to pay attention to it. 
But it was said before the year that they will try to make whatever accommodations they can if teams are vaccinated and if teams have a high enough vaccination level um, and and are doing everything that they possibly can, uh, they will try to make this happen. And they were only going to make them forfeit or you know really put them in bad spots like the Broncos. God, people were talking about the Broncos this week. Uh, and it, it just drove me nuts. They were like, look what you did to the Broncos last year. Let's be clear. The Broncos tried to cheat the system last year. That's why the league did what they did to them. They punished them. So, like, were you punishing the Broncos? Yes, they were. The Broncos <laughs> yeah. cheated. Every, things change every day with what we understand and what we know. So don't act like, oh, you did this last time. Yeah, it, we were learning new things. We're figuring out new things. And they're they're going to change the protocols. They're changing them um, as we speak. Really, they made two changes in the last week, and they thought maybe they'd get some guys back. But – I mean, one of the other things, and, and for, if you if you thought that it didn't help Cleveland at all to move the game back, well, first of all, it helped the Raiders because uh, the game on Saturday would have been in just disgusting conditions. I was here in Cleveland. It sucked. And I think the Raiders would have preferred <laughs> to play the game yesterday. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, Carlson talked about you know kicking in that as compared to uh, kicking what it would have been Saturday. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it helped the Raiders to move it to Monday, but it did help the Browns in that uh I don't think people realize this. The Browns didn't practice last week because they had so many guys in COVID and they couldn't come into the building. They actually got to practice once uh, with Nick Mullins as starting quarterback. Uh, Saturday, when they would have been playing the game, he took his first ever snaps with the first team offense. Well, wow. what, what was considered the first team offense. He had never taken snaps with them before. So it did help Cleveland a little bit in that regard. If you're going to say, hey, you moved the game and it didn't even benefit them. Well, it did. Uh, they got to practice at least once uh, with Nick Mullins as their quarterback. So um, there's a lot of moving pieces, obviously, and I think people are frustrated. Uh, but there are reasons, there are justifications, there are different situations of all these things. And, and you have to understand that when you're talking about that. And uh, the last part of that is how we're, how the writers are feeling. Like, I think just going back to it, you know, we, we did ask every single person, every coach, you know, Bisaccia, Carr, Crosby, everybody that talked yesterday, we asked about how do you kind of sum up the last, you know, 48, 72 hours of the emotions and everything. And that that is when they kind of talked about Will Compton and just said, listen, yeah, it sucked that the game moved and we were mad about it and we were tweeting about it. But then we get here and one of our teammates' moms dies and we're like, yeah, I mean, this 48-hour move, is it really important? No, it's not. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not an important thing. On the way back, let's talk about Derek Carr's uh, condition with that ankle and what he said after the game. We'll start looking ahead to the Broncos game, day after Christmas. Doesn't matter if he doesn't make the kick, you know, and he makes them, you know, and he's proven it over and over again. He's a super confident player, good friend, too. I don't really watch the ball. I watch his reaction, you know, because he always gives it one of those. And speaking of me being a basketball player, they're getting replacement players now. You hear about that? So if anyone needs an extra guard, I read that this morning. I was like, man, this is my chance. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Tuesday, back here on Coalfield and Company, Adam Hill continues as we wrap up the Raiders' big victory over Cleveland. And now... We get a little bit nervous when we see Derek Carr go down in the game with an ankle injury. He talked about it being a recurring deal, right, Adam? But probably nothing to worry about. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the way he described it, it was it's something that happens, you know, frequently, and you just deal with it. And you know, you have you have that 
as he said, like the, the worst part is the fear for like a minute of, is this, you know, did I break it again? Um, and then you say, Oh no, that's just that scar tissue stuff acting up again. Like I'll be fine. Uh, and then you kind of, you know, calm down and move on. According to him, I know there was people that were commenting, uh, perhaps in the press box that were eh, really that ankle seems to flare up every time you fumble. But, um, <laughs> I, I think he's, you know, I think he's on it. It looks like it, his ankle got caught up in that, in that pile a little bit and uh, reached for it, grabbed it right away. And, and his explanation makes some sense of, you know, every once in a while you see him stay on the ground uh, after a play. And, you know, in that case, it was a commercial break. So I don't think people saw how long he was on the ground, but he was on the ground the entire commercial break being worked on and then walked off on his own power and stayed in the game, didn't miss a play. Um so I, I think you take him at his word and just say, hey, that's that's what's going to happen every once in a while is the scar tissue is going to act up. It's not a serious injury. It's just something that's built up in his in his leg. And, you know, he has to live with that fear that maybe that's that this is a re-aggravation or a re-break, but uh, says that it happens often enough that he kind of understands it now. A win is a win in the NFL, except on Cofield and company. You know, we'll, uh, we'll celebrate a little bit. Uh, the victory because it's hard to win games in the National Football League, but you also have to deal with reality, and there were some negatives uh, in the game to talk about because we got to address what's going to happen moving forward. Uh, first of all, this Raiders team has now had eight games with 16 or fewer points. Only two other teams have matched that number this year, the Texans and the Jaguars, and those two teams suck. So I guess there's a silver lining here. The Raiders can win low-scoring games, so that's a positive and a negative. Um Interesting numbers since 2014. It's hard to win games when you score less than 16, you know, 16 or fewer. Uh, Raiders are 3-46, and 3-46 and 46 with 16 or fewer. But it kind of feels like that's the kind of team they are now, which is so bizarre. How do you come out of the gates with Derek Carr? And, he, you know, he's got over 4,000 yards, but the offense looks so good. What do you chalk it up to? Just no progress on the offensive line. They had a bunch of holding penalties. And the absence of Waller, why has this gotten so hard to freaking score? Yeah, I think the offensive line is the first thing you look at for sure. Um, and you say uh, that you know you 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 feel like if they were a little bit more consistent, the offense would be a little bit more consistent. Uh, absolutely, and and of course you you know you mentioned Darren Waller has been out a couple of games. Um, Henry Ruggs obviously was their number one receiver, their speed guy early in the season. Um, he has not been there. Uh, there, there are different reasons you can pick out and say, well, this is why it hasn't worked out. I think at times too conservative, at times settling for field goals when you could probably try to extend drives and go for touchdowns. Like there's all these things that um, you could point to. Um, but in the end, you just, you just need to, you need to figure it out. You need to overcome it. Like every team in the league deals with something. You know, I, I was, I was kind of uh, firing back at, at, not firing back, it's probably not the right word, but there was there were some Browns people that were going a little bit far uh, that were, you know, on, in the press box yesterday about, well, why is this team even celebrating? Like, they beat they beat a bunch of third stringers. It's, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. And I said, well, I mean, in fairness, the, the Raiders basically don't have their best player on offense or defense um, in the game. <laughs> like, it's not like, it's not like every team is completely healthy except for the Browns this year. Um, but you have to overcome it. You know, you look at the other side the, with the Browns. I mean, they almost won a game and, you know, they weren't, they didn't play great. They wouldn't blow anybody away or anything like that, but they almost won a game without more than half of their starters. <laughs> like that's crazy. You sometimes you just have to overcome things. And I think for whatever reason, the Raiders haven't been good enough at overcoming the things that have gone wrong. There's plenty of reasons that you can point to. And uh, like we said, Waller injury, rugs gone, 
Um, coach losing the play caller in the middle of the season. Like, there's all these things you can point to that are very legitimate. It, it's you know we talk about reasons or excuses, and um, I think those are reasons. Like, I, I think those are valid things that have happened that that have been difficult to overcome. But your job uh, in the NFL is to overcome them. I mean, that, that's what your job is. You mentioned their best player on defense, and yesterday we found out uh, Raiders have three Pro Bowlers. Uh, I suppose you're referencing Denzel Perriman. Uh, Cole is one of the Pro Bowlers. Max Crosby is also part of the Pro Bowl mix. I know he talked about it, uh, about where he was a couple of years ago, and he was mentioning about rehab and hard work. You know, I, I go back. That was not a publicized deal, right? Like, we're finding out it's kind of trickling out his troubles with alcohol, and I, I don't. You tell me. You tell the audience. Was the rehab thing a known deal? No, but I mean, he talked about it early in the season, um, just a little bit. In, in in particular, the influence that Darren Waller had uh, on him and getting to rehab and getting clean and and uh, and and focusing on his life. And I think that's that's part of why. And, and I should say, I think Max Crosby's their best player on defense right now, not Denzel Perriman. But you, you, the the point was just you know when you've got guys out, you've got to overcome. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's a great story, obviously, and that's what Max Crosby talked about. He said, you know, one of the reasons that he set a goal, because he did set a stated goal before this season, uh, told us before the year that it's his it's his goal to make the Pro Bowl this year. And, you know, a lot of people would look at that as an individual accomplishment um, and say, well, why are you chasing individual awards? Well, I mean, obviously his goal is to win a Super Bowl, but one of the reasons that he, he wanted to make the Pro Bowl is he just wanted that – that validation of what he'd been doing, all the hard work that he'd been putting in uh, on the field and off the field in his personal life and his, his professional life of, you know, getting to a level where you're recognized as being one of the best at your position, despite all the adversity that, that he's overcome, both, you know, self-inflicted and, um, you know, and just the, the barriers that are put up to, to make it to the NFL for anybody. So um, all of those things that, that he had to try to fight through and work through and, be a fourth round pick and make it to this level so quickly. He got very emotional talking about it just because it was, it was such a journey and it was such a, a mission for him uh, to accomplish this and uh, to actually get that news. You know, we get to see kind of by mistake. Uh, it wasn't really supposed to happen necessarily, but we got to see the moment where Mike Mayock uh, congratulated him after the game because uh, Crosby was coming into the media room and Mayock grabbed him and, and had a little conversation with him, but the door was kind of ajar a little bit as he was walking into the media room and just got to see that moment of like, Hey man, like we know how bad you wanted this. And you know, it's, it's so amazing that you were able to, to actually make it. And um, you, you just saw how much it meant to Max Crosby. And I think a lot of people, you know, diminish the pro bowl and, and all those things, but uh, very, very special moment for him and, and pretty cool to be a part of it. Broncos game coming up. Probably no Teddy Bridgewater. I think Drew Locke actually, in a lot of ways, is more dangerous. Um, he'll make mistakes, but he also has a lot of big play potential. But the Broncos, my Lord, talk about trying to get off the deck. It's amazing as the season goes along, the ups and downs are both 7-7, seven and seven, but the Raiders are kind of feeling good about themselves. The Broncos right now, that, team, that town is devastated. I don't know if the team is, but that town is so in the mode of, we're done. And it's a different kind of done versus the Raiders coaching staff. I think people feel bad for Bisaccia. People don't people don't feel bad for Shermer. They don't feel bad for Fangio. They're they are just annoyed and I wonder how the team is going to react to that. Yeah, I think it's a fair question. And I think, you know, like you said, they're in the same position and really their their playoff odds are very similar and and that, you know, same record and they have the same kind of same ish schedule 
and obviously they're playing each other this week, and and this week is going to determine a lot of which direction is the season over. Is it is it still alive? So a very similar situation with different feelings, as you as you pointed out, and I think that that should be beneficial for the Raiders uh, to if you if you put the Broncos in a bad spot early, maybe you know they start to to, to feel that that you know pressure and that weight, uh, and that it makes it difficult for them to come back in the game. But it's also you know dangerous in that their season is still alive, and obviously Drew Locke is trying to play for his future. Um, so there, there's a lot of factors that go both ways. And I think after the game, you'll look at it and say, oh yeah, of course that that's, that's what happened. That made sense. That's the narrative that, uh, that played out in this game. But, um, yeah, I think that the Raiders have every opportunity to beat this Broncos team that's reeling and with, you know, probably without their starting quarterback. Um, it's, it's a, you know, before the season, I don't think the Raiders thought they'd be in this position. I think that they believe that they'd kind of be in a better spot in terms of making the playoffs, but you say like two weeks ago, if you if you told them that this is the position that you'd be in, I think they'd say, okay, that's what we want. We'll take that. That's a that's a good spot to have a Broncos team at home uh, that's not feeling necessarily that great about themselves and the Raiders off a emotional victory um, with a chance to you know to give themselves a better shot uh, at the postseason and make the last two weeks of the season relevant. Uh, I think that they'd take that and they'd, they'd be excited about that opportunity. And, and now it, you'll see how it plays out. But these are also the kind of situations the last couple of years where you've gone in and said, hey, the Raiders have everything that they want in front of them. Their destiny's in their hands. They can, you know, they can they can do something about their future. And they seem to have come short in most of these situations. So we'll see what happens in this one. Adam Hill spent a ton of time with us, part of the company, of course. Adam's going to stick around for two more minutes on the way back. I do want to get uh, his... Uh, take on what's going on with the Vegas Golden Knights and the NHL. This has become really messy, and man, this could be a look into the future for the next month or so with COVID exploding as the NHL is going to shut down. Steve, we all like you better 10 years ago when you were 35 pounds lighter and you were an above-average perimeter defender on the basketball court. Tyler Bischoff reminds me of a nerdy mechanical engineering major. Ari seems about as organized as the UNLV men's basketball program. Happy Festivus, everyone. Festivus is this Wednesday. Call us live on the show or air your grievances whenever you want by calling 702-473-0050 and leaving a voicemail. Adam Hill's with us, of course, uh, NFL writer up here, right, in the uh, Dana White rankings. NHL, just a little bit lower. But the NHL, there are so many crazy stories right now. First of all, the Knights are kicking ass, and we got a game tonight. They want to keep the momentum going, but because the NHL's had so many problems with COVID, uh, they're going to hit a wall, win or lose. They're going to hit a wall here because the league is going to shut down. So give me your take on the shutdown because it's only going to be three days. Does that make sense to you? Yes and no. Um, I mean, I, I think it, it doesn't because what, what does that do? What does three days really do in the end? Uh, nobody knows, but I don't think that's really the plan necessarily. I mean, they were going to have a couple day break anyway. Things are starting it early and saying, let's, let's figure this out. They need, they need to have some real conversations about what the rest of the season looks like. Uh, one of them being the restriction on cross cross border travel and the fact that you've got teams in Canada and how are you going to make this work? Like, they, by the, by the way, are they, not, are they not going to reorganize the divisions for the rest of the season and go back to the, the divisions of last year? Sorry, 
makeover, uh, do-over. The standings are not actually the standings. We have to go back to a Canadian division. I mean, I think what they would try to do is get the Canadian teams to relocate. Um, but, I, I mean, logistically, that's tough. Now, I know with, like, a lot of the places in Canada are really restricting fans or even having no fans right now. So maybe it wouldn't really impact you that much in terms of revenue and that sort of thing. But um, obviously it puts a strain on, you know, the players of, of having to, to be on the road for an entire season again. Um, there's there's no ideal solution. But I and, and that's that's the other part of this where I hear, you know, people complaining about like, well, what about this? What about this? And why are they doing this? Or, or even why do they even care? Well, I mean, they're, they're going to care. Um, about it, about health and safety, and that's first. And again, it's not about the players; it's about who else they come in contact with in society. Um, and so, you don't want to you don't want to be a part of spreading it around, even if it's not going to impact your players as much. It could very well impact other people that they're around or come in contact with or in their community. So, you don't want to be part of spreading it. Uh, is why you wouldn't have these games and why you would uh, put a pause potentially uh, on the season. I just I feel like they're in a terrible spot. It, it's a it's a really a no win. It's trying to find. Just like, um, you know, one of the quotes I heard about the, the Browns Raiders was they were just trying to find the lesser of all the evil, awful situations. And I, I think that's the same with the NHL. Of what, what are you going to do? How are you going to make this you know work going forward? I think this is more a let's pause it for a couple of days because there's going to be a pause anyway, a little brief pause for, for the holidays. Let's pause it for a couple extra days. Let's have a couple of days of discussions. We're trying to figure out how the rest of the season looks. And and let's make it go forward. Like I, I don't think the pause of four days really helps at all, right? Uh, in terms of like controlling spread, and I, that's not what's going to happen. It's more just four days to have discussions about okay, how can we make this work? How do we make the rest of the season play out? How do we avoid you know shutting things down? And it's a bummer for the Knights because right now they're playing really good hockey. Uh, yeah. The schedule, if it holds, we know the Kings game is off on Thursday, but the schedule. Uh, was supposed to be Lightning, Kings, Avalanche, Kings, Ducks. I mean, there's a chance here. I mean, it's it's early in the season, so I'm not going to say, you know, put some distance between yourself and the rest of the division because it's too early. But but in terms of, you know, really gaining some ground, they gained it all, all the way back to get to first place in the Pacific. They could get some important points here, and hopefully this thing is not extended beyond the 26th. Yeah, and I, I, I don't necessarily think it will. I mean, you know, I've, I do have – uh, you know, people I talk to with other teams around the league a little bit, and we know the Knights are very tight-lipped about a lot, but, um, you know, I do hear from other folks that they, they just think, you know, they knew this was coming, but, you know, th- they think it's going to be fairly brief and that they can they can get back to somewhat normalcy. The, the issue really is the Canadian, the Canadian side of things. Um, you have a bunch of teams in Canada. It's going to be difficult to make these things happen. I, I know... I have heard of some teams kind of hiding uh, maybe their their unvaccinated players uh, on trips to Canada, not bringing them with them. Oh, wow. and maybe there's a little tweak uh, because you know, earlier than this, uh, before you know the last couple of months, just because you don't want to be stuck where your players test positive in Canada and they're put into isolation and um, the way that things go up there. So um, it's it, it's a tough spot for the NHL to try to be in. Um, but they've, they've got to figure this out logistically. Like, th- there's more than just hockey games. There's international travel involved. I hope you're going to be around tomorrow. I'm not sure because I don't know what the Raiders' schedule is the rest of the week because yeah. everything's so topsy-turvy. Tomorrow is Festivus. 
Uh, you can call in today and leave a message. We'll probably cut that off at about noon on Wednesday, and then we'll have to take all the calls live. We love the live calls. That's always been the uh, backbone of Festivus. But tomorrow, in the middle of the show, we'll be taking calls. You can call in right now and leave a message, Festivus. <laughs> slam on any of us, anyone at the uh, sports stations, 473-0050. Adam, safe travels, and we will talk to oh, you tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There he is, Adam Hill, part of the company, covering the Raiders, covering the Golden Knights, covering everything around the city of Las Vegas. Congrats to the winner of the Press Box Holiday Hookup on Ice. Dale Edwards was one of the winners of four tickets to Disney on Ice. That goes down at the Thomas & Mack from January 6th to the 9th. You can grab your own tickets at DisneyOnIce.com. Everyone who got those tickets also qualified for the grand prize from the fellas on the press box, a brand-new 55-inch 4K TV. Dale Edwards is the winner. Dale Edwards is the winner of the press box holiday hookup on ice. Congrats to Dale, and thanks to the folks over at the Thomas & Mac and Disney on Ice for hooking us up with this great prize pack. That's awesome. Congrats again to Dale Edwards. Four o'clock hours on the way. We'll check in with another one of our football insiders, former UNLV quarterback Caleb Herring is up in our four o'clock hour.